Last Sunday we talked about what does real prayer look like. And as I began to pray, and I, I just got this, this itching about faith this week. And, and so I feel like the Lord just uh, whispered, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to do like a short four or five week series on, I'm going to call it the real series. <laughs> We're going to talk about real prayer, real faith, real hope, real love, real service. And we want to get down to see what it really looks like. And so um, I want to talk to you just a little bit about some of the misunderstandings about faith. And what I think many times about faith that is misunderstood is that people think about faith as uh, getting something. You know, so much of, of Christians uh, talk about faith is about having faith to appropriate something from God. So we almost uh, get an idea that if we're lacking anything in our life, it's because we don't have enough faith or we don't have the right type of faith or our faith isn't strong enough. But I would like to um, have you look at faith a little bit differently this morning. I want to kind of uh, introduce maybe a new concept for you to think about. That faith is not about getting something. Faith is about becoming something. And I want you to really think about that for a moment. And I want to give you one example before we even jump into the text. I thought about this and I thought, Abraham is called the father of faith. Isn't that right? I mean, you read Romans chapter 4, he's the father of faith. And we read about how he went through his life and he met God. And God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. Now, when you think about that, you know, we hear all about the blessings of Abraham, but the real blessing of Abraham was the blessing of faith and righteousness on account of faith. Now, Abraham had one child, and his name was Isaac. And Abraham never saw himself become the father of many nations. You know, sometimes God speaks something over our lives and, and, and we, we, we have it and we know it's something that he's, he's put in our spirit and yet we don't see it. Anybody been there before? And Abraham didn't see it. God called him now in the middle of his life to take that one son that was born to him, that was the only son of promise, and he said, I want you to go up and sacrifice him for me. And so here was this man who believed God when he said, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he took his own son up and was about to sacrifice him in obedience to God. And of course, when the knife was coming down, he said, stop. Now, as far as I can see, when I looked in the text, I don't really know if there's an overlap here, but it appears that, that Abraham died before Isaac had Jacob and Esau. And so Abraham never saw past Isaac. So he never got, in fact, it took over 400 years for the promise of being the father of many nations to come to pass. 400 years of captivity in Egypt until the people of Israel were like sand on the sea. And that's what God told Abraham he would have descendants as many as the, the sand on the sea. And he never saw that. But you know what? By faith, he became the father of many nations. So I want to talk about faith as something of becoming what God wants us to be, rather than thinking about faith in a selfish way, always about what I can get from God just by believing. Here's the neat thing, I think, is that when we start thinking about faith in the terms of becoming, then God naturally gives. It says that He's our Heavenly Father and that He knows our needs before we ask Him. Matthew chapter 6, isn't that right? And, and if we're delighting in the Father and we're becoming what the Father wants us to become, then He's going to be providing all of our needs according to his riches and glories in Christ Jesus. It's a neat thing. It's a neat thing. So, the book of Thessalonians was the first book or epistle that Paul wrote. 
Um, he, in Acts chapter 17, we see he went to Thessalonica. He preached in the synagogues for about three Sundays. He was in the home of Jason for a while. And then there was a great uproar. Now, most Bible scholars believe he spent about three months there teaching and everything before they, they got him out of town because they were coming to kill him. So Paul had this tender place in his heart. In fact, when you read the book of Thessalonians, there's no real strong rebukes to them. It's more counsel and encouragement of love from the great apostle Paul to this church in Thessalonica. And so in verses 12 to 13, and I'm going to just have the text here. Let me see, am I on? Yeah, I'm on. 12 or 13, there we go. Um, so you can look at the text, but if you have your Bibles, I always encourage you to open your Bibles. Because you might want to jot something down that God just places in your heart. It may not be anything I say. It may just be something the Holy Spirit says to you. Don't be afraid to write in the margins of your Bible or on your bulletin or somewhere. Take notes. Uh, verses 12 and 13. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in the love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. What does real faith look like? The first thing I want to say is that real faith calls us to respect and honor those who are in authority over us. And it calls us to respect and honor each other in the body of Christ. Now, I uh, thought about Timothy's. In 1 Timothy, what Paul wrote to him in verses 1 to 4. And I tell you, does anybody here watch the news like I do? And, uh, you know, I can only take about 30 minutes. 30-minute recrap, a new, re, re, recrap. <laughs> a 30-minute, yeah, that's it. A 30-minute recrap of news, and I'm done. It's real church for real people here. You know, that happens all the time. So the recrap of news, I'm done. And, um, but I find myself, when I watch the news, hey, it's my birthday, cut me some slack. <laughs> When I watch the news, <laughs> that I start getting angry at people. I'm only human. And, and I find myself not doing what Paul told Timothy to do. He says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> it says that. Because it says all men. Now, you know, in the Lord, I mean, I'm just being honest with you, she's not my favorite politician. Um, but I'm supposed to pray for her. And I'm supposed to respect her in the position that God has placed her in. Hmm. Sorry, Nancy, I, I really, you know. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this, what? Praying respecting, honoring. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So when I'm getting angry, when I'm not respecting, when I'm not praying, when I'm talking against people, it's not good in the sight of God. You get it? Why is it good in the sight of God our Savior? Paul tells Timothy, because he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And so I'm saying, if I'm really saying I'm a man of faith, I'm a person of faith, I need to start living my life by showing respect and honor to all authority. Doesn't mean I can't disagree. Doesn't mean I can't voice my opinion or cast my vote. But I've got to be a respectful person, an honoring person. And I thought about this, and I just want to share this thought to you. Listen to this very carefully and just ponder this with me. Could our failure to respect and honor those in authority be a contributing factor to the unrest in our nation? And also, can it be a reason why we seem to see this hardness of heart and a hindrance to unbelievers in hearing and receiving the gospel? Now, I don't know about you, but if I didn't know Jesus Christ... And I saw a lot of the angst and anger and hatred in the body of Christ that's there today in America. I don't think I'd want anything to do with it. I know as a little boy of 13, 
I didn't want anything to do with church because I heard what happened after the people out of the church. It doesn't happen here, but when we left the church, people would get in little conclaves of, of gossip, little gossip circles. And they, I'd be walking around, because I was only this tall, you know, I was a little kid, and I'd be walking around, you know, trying to get a donut or something, you know, and, and I'd hear them, and they'd be talking about how bad the pastor's sermon was, they'd be talking about Sister Susie, you know, she's such a floozy, and they'd be going on down the line, and they'd just be, they'd just be beating people up. And I thought to myself, man, if that's what church is, I don't want anything to do with it. And so I left church for four years. I went on Christmas and Easter, and I didn't go any other time. I wouldn't go. Could our disrespect for authority be keeping people from our doors? Verses 14 to 15 of 1 Thessalonians. It says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for you yourselves and for all. Real faith calls us to exercise true love toward one another. Now, true love is not sloppy love. It's not sloppy agape. And true love doesn't condone sin. It says, warn those who are unruly. It doesn't say, Give them a wink and tell them they're okay. You see, I think that's what's happened in our culture today, is that we've become so politically correct everywhere, even in the church, we're afraid to say, like the little kid says, the emperor has no clothes. We're afraid to say the truth because we don't want to offend anybody, but we need to speak the truth in love. We really do. True love does not dismiss or condone sin. True love is also compassionate caring and patient with all. Jesus, in, in, in the book, I believe it's of Isaiah, says he doesn't crush the bruised reed. He doesn't put out the smoldering flax. God doesn't break us, destroy us. He doesn't vanquish us. He's patient with us. He's compassionate. Listen, even though we don't condone sin, it, that's more directed toward the body within but outside, let me tell you, if someone's sinning, cussing, swearing, whatever, they're living an ungodly life, it doesn't shock me. Does it shock you? I mean, I used to do it. I know you can't imagine that. But I used to be a cantankerous, angry young man. And I have compassion because, let me tell you, a person who doesn't know Jesus, a person who's bound by his sin, is bound and he's miserable. Or she's miserable. As much as they try to hide it, as much as they try to uh, medicate it, as much as they try to ignore it, they're miserable. And we need to be broken for those people. We need not pointing fingers. We have to stop doing that we got to stop being shocked. i got to admit, listen, you know, I, I am not, I didn't just turn 30, I turned a little bit older than that. And, um, you know, there are certain things that, you know, when I was a kid, you know, there were things that were shocking to my parents. And now that I'm that parent, you know, I, I go into Walmart and I see some people and it's kind of like, yay, yay, yay. And i got to stop doing that. You know, I've got to stop looking at people from the outward appearance. And I've got to stop looking, I've got to start looking to the heart. So true love is compassionate and caring with all people. And true love calls each person to reach their full potential in Jesus Christ. When's the last time you came up beside someone and said, you know, I believe in you. I'm praying for you. When's the last time you drew a gift out of somebody's life that was dormant and and blew on that flame that was about ready to go out. You know, none of us do anything perfectly when we first start doing it, and even after we've been doing it a long time. You know, I'm sitting here, I told Karen, I said, I'm afraid to preach with Steve here. <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, I, I, I never preached to Steve before. And I'm a little bit scared, you know, because he's my friend, but he's also a good preacher. And you know, none of us preach perfectly. None of us teach perfectly. None of us, 
you know, I, you know Eddie, Eddie will sometimes forget the strum, and, and you, know, I mean, we're, you know, and he's, a, he's an expert. I mean, he's like a hundred times better guitarist than I'll ever be, and, you know, and, and we all forget things. All of us are imperfect. But when we see someone trying to give of themselves, are we there to encourage them and to draw out from within them? You know, Timothy was a meek and timid young man. And Paul said, will you just stir up that what's in you, Timothy? I believe in you. Stir it up. And he went on the flame that was about ready to go out in Timothy. We need to do that. Brethren, it says in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, if anyone's overtaken in a fault or a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. In a spirit of gentleness, consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we've seen two phrases here. That praying and respecting and honoring people is good in God's sight. And restoring and loving and caring for people is the law of Christ. You know, if we were doing those two things, folks, I could just say amen right now, we'd go home. If we were really honoring and loving like God calls us to do, everything else would fall into place. Father God, speak to us. Now, you know these next verses. These are some of the most frequently preached on verses in the book of Thessalonians. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Real faith, a growing faith, a dynamic faith, an authentic faith, is marked by a heart that's growing in three things. Worship, prayer, and praise. You know, we started a, an old series, but it's great, it's good, on Wednesday night, and, and um, we're doing the Jack Hayford series on worship, and we're doing a short segment of video, then we're having discussion, and then we're going into worship. And, and Wednesday night was just really beautiful. And when we were there, we broke up into prayer at the end as we were worshiping, and, and one person came up to me and said, you know, I wasn't being prayed for, but my neck. I mean, I was killing me when I came in here, and now, I don't, now it feels great. You know, when we are growing in worship, and when we're growing in prayer and in praise, when we're hungry to do what we did here this morning, when it becomes our inhale and our exhale, God begins to move in our lives. It says rejoice always. Jesus said this. He says, joy, that joy, that, that, that spirit of praise it is, is the fruit of God's word abiding in our hearts. Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you. Everything that he said to the disciples, he said, everything I've told you, everything I've breathed into you is so that two things, my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. So I have this little capacity for joy inside. And, and, and usually what it is, it's happiness. <laughs> it's not even joy. And it's like, kind of like fills up, you know, when everything's going good, you know, and then when everything's not going good, it empties down. So when the hurricane was going and, and I didn't know where my daughter was going to end up, you know, it just emptied out. I wasn't feeling very joyful at the moment. Then I felt, well, that's not the joy God wants me to have. The joy that he wants me to have is the joy that, I, that I, I find with Christ in me, the hope of glory. When I'm abiding in his word, his word's abiding in me, and even when there's a hurricane barreling down toward my daughter, I can cry out to him and I can feel his joy undergirding me and giving me strength. Because I know he's going to protect her, I know he's going to protect me, I know he's going to meet our needs, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And then I grow in prayer. It's the expression of my intimacy with the Father. We just finished editing Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and me. And, and we're doing some proofreading on it right now. And I was talking with Rick Wolfestig uh, this week. And, and, and he's been a great help. And we've been working on the last chapter. And, and, and it's going to get published. And, and um, I think it's going to be presented at the banquet this, this year. And it's just such a... Such a uh, a privilege and thank you guys for your prayers and all of that i know some of you've been praying for me in that effort and rick said this he said you know when i read the children's book he said i started praying in the spirit more 
Now this is like, he was like the, the leader of Foursquare education. This is like, Rick is like, you know, he's been Foursquare all his life. He's like, and he just said, it humbled me to pray more in the Spirit. You know what? I said, man, if it humbled you to pray more in the Spirit, I better get on it too. <laughs> I need to be praying. I need to, you know, Susan Hewlett gave out these little stickers at, at summer camp one time, and it said pits. I thought, what's she going to teach on? And, and she said, put it on your dash, pray in the Spirit. Of course, I couldn't put it on my car, but I kept it in my heart. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it wouldn't happen. But anyway, because it had sticky glue on the back, it wasn't going to happen. But anyway, I got the concept. Pray in the Spirit. Pray without ceasing. You know, that's what it says. Luke 6, 12, it says, Jesus all the time. He went, guys, I'm out of here. I'm going to go pray. And they're kind of thinking, why does he keep going by himself to pray? Because he knew the source of his joy and of his hope. And finally, in everything, give thanks. Thanksgiving is that fruit of joy that flows out of a life of prayer, and it's a natural expression of worship, you know, that from a heart that's growing in, in real faith. You know what? Uh, we prayed in the prayer room this morning. I said, you know, Terry said, revival is when everything else becomes unimportant to us and he becomes all important to us. Lord, that's what I want in my life. And so I read this verse from the message. I just want to read Romans 8, 26 to 28 from the message. You've heard it so many different ways, but listen to this way it's written. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our world, world, wordless sighs and our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition. And he keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our life is being guided by his love. God's love is working in us something good. Mm. Number four, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. When I got to that verse, I really didn't like it. Because, you know, when you're, when you're reading and you're studying and you're praying and God nails you, well, give me stuff to nail other people, Lord, but don't nail me, you know. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, Lord, you know, I'm guilty of this. I get a lot of emails. Do any of you get a lot of emails? And I get a lot of emails that give, that are, pro I don't know how I got on this, but all these prophecies that everybody's giving. And I want to tell you, they're all over the place. I mean, you know, on one end of it, America is dying and going to hell. On the other end of it, a great revival is coming. And in the middle of it, the hurricane meant this and that. And now I'm going, and finally I'm just going, man, you know, if I read all these, I'd go crazy. And, and I find myself getting a little bit jaded and on the edge of despising prophecy. Just being honest. Because there's a lot of goofy stuff out there. And, uh, and I don't want to be that way. I don't want to harden my heart so I don't hear God. Do you hear what I'm saying? You know, there is a lot of goofy stuff out there. And that's, that's what he says here. Listen, he said, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecy, but test all things. So I need to realize that real faith calls me to walk in both the fullness of the Holy Spirit and also in the discernment of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't push away things that I don't want to hear, just say, well, that's that guy, I don't, that's that guy. I need to be open because, let me tell you something, if God wants to speak to me through that guy, I need to hear it. Do you hear me? Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. 
Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul again tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he says, Preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and will be turned aside to fables. You may say, well, Kirk, you know, how do we know? How do we know? How do we know what's the right thing and the wrong thing? How do we know? 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 Oh, yeah, the Bible. Yeah. You see, if you're abiding in the Word, and His joy is abiding in you, and you're growing in worship, and you're growing in prayer, and you're growing in praise, and you're growing in His presence, and you got this Word hidden in your heart, and it's your daily delight and desire. When you come across a wacky word, the Holy Spirit warns you. And all you have to do is read this book, and it's clear. You know, I'm so, I'm so amazed. There's two extremes. On the one extreme is where I can end up sometimes where I'm just going, oh, not again. And on the other extreme is over here where it's saying, oh, wow, did you hear what so-and-so said? With no testing, with no discernment. Somewhere we've got to get back to the middle where we're saying, Father, real faith says, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to test everything by the Word of God. Man, the Bereans, they heard Paul preach. It's kind of like, you know, they said, hey, yeah, Paul, we heard a lot about you, but yeah, we'll go home and check it out. And they searched the Scriptures to see if the things that he said were so. Don't ever take something just because I say it. Don't take something just because Billy Graham says it. Don't take something just because whoever says it. Even if Jack Hayford says it, don't just take it and swallow it like a pill. Test it. If I've ever been wrong, ask Steve. He'll tell you. Has he ever been wrong? Boy, ask me after the service. But test it. You know, I mean, golly. If you knew that all the water, like in Houston, was bad and you had to boil it before you drank it, I want to tell you something and they were selling water testing kits, I'd buy one, and I'd test that water before I gobbled it down. How about you? Let's test it and see. Finally, real faith, verse 23. Real faith rests in the faithfulness of God. I want to give you uh, just about five just little nibbles here as we close. Now may the God, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ can i give you some good news this morning i mean this to me is really good news god is more invested and interested in your sanctification that's a fancy word for saying you becoming like jesus so let me say it that way God is more interested and invested in you becoming like Jesus than you are. There, I said it. He cares more about it than you do. Wow. Now may the God of peace himself say, you mean sanctification? This whole thing is really, God does it? Yes, that's who does it, folks. You don't get it at the sanctification store. You don't get it from buying a book at Mardell's and reading it, and all of a sudden, boom, I'm sanctified, hallelujah. I grew up in a tradition. I think this is one thing that Steve and I have, have in common from a back tradition, is a, a tradition of the, the third bless or the, the second blessing was sanctification. And when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, you were sanctified 100% completely, and you were without sin. I don't know if the Mennonites did that, but the Brethren of Christ surely did. And I want to tell you, some of the most carnal people I ever met were those sanctified folk. Because once you're sanctified completely, you can't tell a person that they're wrong. You know, if you were totally sanctified, Brother Mitch, I'd go, 
You know, maybe you need to pray about that. You go, I don't need to. I'm sanctified. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you just offended your wife. I couldn't have done that because I'm sanctified. <laughs> and she said, no, I won't go. <laughs> See, God's more interested in you becoming like Jesus than you are. And he's going to do it, man. He's invested in you. The next verse, these get exciting. Uh, is that okay if I get excited? He who calls you is faithful, and he'll do it too. I like that. God's at work within us to do will and to do his good pleasure. I love this because I always thought in my Christian life it was up to me. It was up to me if I prayed more, if I read more, if I served more, if I did all this stuff more, I'd become more like Jesus. And the more I tried and the more I served and the more I prayed and the more I worked, and the more, I got worse. And when I finally said, God, I'm like Paul, Romans 7. Who can fix this miserable sinner like I? That's after I'd been a pastor, folks, I'm telling you. I said, I just am a mess. And I, and I, 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 I knelt in, 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 that, in a hotel room in Las Vegas, Nevada, and God showed me something. All my life I'd seen Jesus on the cross, but I never had seen me on the cross. And I realized that I can't sanctify myself. I can't please God by myself. I can't change myself. I knew that when I got saved, but somewhere along the line, I started to convince myself that I could do it. And I can't. And when I said, God, I can't do it, who can do it? And he said, I got good news, Kirk. I'm faithful, and I'm going to do it in you. I know, that's pretty good news, isn't it? I mean, I liked it. First fit. 25 and 26, worship team, come back up so they know that I'm not going to go way over or anything like that. Okay, brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now, some of you will take this literally. Don't kiss me today. <laughs> and, and, and there's one person here who's just going to do it just to get me. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> God is continually calling us again to a life of prayer, compassion, and love. You know, to pray for one another in church, to pray for one another in the store, to pray for one another at a gas station, to pray for one another around our family tables should be as natural for us as anything else we do in life. We should never go, oh, they're going to pray, not the prayer circles, not the prayer circles. <laughs> No, I have to hold your hand. Ah! Scary. No, man, we should be on it. And you guys were on it this morning. Pray for, there's some man. Get on it. Boom. Wow. There's someone's visiting going, whoa. I think these guys believe in prayer. Of course we do. And it's fun, isn't it? It's fun when you pray for someone and all of a sudden they get blessed. And it's fun when you're praying for someone and you get blessed and you didn't even ask for it. Hallelujah. And finally, two more real quick. Verse 27. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. God's given us his word to keep us through all the difficult times in life. We need to read it. We need to chew it. We need to swallow it. We need to bring it back up. Oh, right before lunch, Kirk? Yeah, we need to ruminate it in our spirit. We need to get God's Word, God's Word, God's Word, God's Word, God's Word in us. Have you ever wondered why the enemy tries to keep you out of the Word more than anything else in your life? You'll come to service. You'll sing songs. You'll pray before dinner. But have you ever noticed that your Bible, your Bible devotional time, the time of really getting in the Word, journaling with the Lord, spending time quality with Him, is the one thing the enemy tries to crowd out of your life? Come on, am I talking to anybody here other than myself? You know, do you think, do you think that because I'm the pastor, I wake up every morning, Lord, hello, Jesus? Well, okay. Ask my wife. Hallelujah! There's the Bible. Oh, oh, so good. Oh, oh, oh. Sometimes it's so, oh, 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 oh. You know, I mean, but you know what? 
I've got to take Coumadin every day because I have an artificial heart valve that will cause a blood clot if I don't, and it can kill me. And if I have to take Coumadin every day and I never forget that, I must not forget God's Word every day because God's Word is more important to me than that little uh, pink pill. It is pink, by the way. Last verse. I think there's a last verse. There it is. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I want to tell you that it's not about us, it's about His grace. Real faith knows that it's not about us. Real faith is honest that it's not about works. Real faith is transparent and calls upon the grace of God every day. God, I need your grace. Paul, summarizing his life, this is my life verse. This is Paul's life verse, I believe. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, yet I labored more abundantly than they all, than they all yet not I. But it was the grace of God working within me. That grace that was given to him as a gift became that motivating factor of his life. It was grace. When he hit the wall praying for that thorn in the flesh, regardless of whatever it was, whatever it was, it doesn't matter. And three times the Lord said, no. And then he said, Lord, why? Why are you saying no? And he said, because my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. You see, Paul could have gone overboard one line, he'd be back in pride. One line, he'd be back in self-sufficiency. One line, he'd be relying on his old nature and his wisdom and his knowledge. And God said, man, i got to keep you humble, and I'm going to give you all the grace you need. And finally, here's the good news. You remember when the gas went out? I remember when everybody rushed to the gas pumps, and there was no gas there. Was that a little bit, come on, was that a little bit of a panic? You know, Karen texts me, hurry, get gas. Get gas, people. So I went to get gas, and that station had closed. That station was closed. That station was closed. That station was closed. I said, well, I'm not going anywhere. I just went home. <laughs> but, but everybody got gas at the same time, and there was no gas available, and it was a panic. Can I tell you that God's grace pump never runs dry? It says he gives more grace. He gives more grace. And I don't care what you're facing this morning. When Zerubbabel faced the rebuilding of the temple, the, the, the building of the second temple, and when he stood there and, and, and he looked at it, and it was a rubble, and the Lord said to him, I'll give you grace upon grace. And he says, you will build from this mountain of rubble. God will take the rubble of your life and he will pour out his grace upon it no matter what you face in every stage of your life. And dear one, listen, young person, college student, young married couple, grandparents, wherever you are in the stage of your life, I want to tell you God's grace will be given to you grace upon grace through every phase, through every trial. His grace is sufficient. Sufficient. It is sufficient. That's real faith. Let's stand as we worship and close.
of man was upon you and woman was upon you. Everything that we had ever done and will ever do was laid on your shoulders. You gave up everything. You gave up your glory. You gave up your position as the Logos of God with the Father. You humbled yourself. You were born as an infant. And you walked among us as a sinless man and you willingly went to the cross for the joy that was set before you. And Lord, if you were willing to give up anything for us and everything for us, why do we hold on to anything that keeps us from you? So right now, as your heads are bowed and you're just in a moment of reflection, I feel like the Lord is just wanting to say to each one of us, some of you have not taken a step of obedience that you know God is calling you to take because you're holding on to something that is never going to give you the life and the hope and the joy and the peace that you, you so desperately want and need. You're afraid to really let go and to really plunge in into the loving kindness and the care of God because You've done it before, but in presumption, you've misunderstood that as God letting you down. And He's never let you down and He's never forsaken you. We've all moved out in presumption when it wasn't the Lord and we've fallen and, and we've gotten discouraged. But the Lord is saying to you right now that there are things that He's speaking to you and, and they're not your presumption now. It is the Holy Spirit of God calling you to take a step toward Him in utter surrender and to give up the thing that you're holding on to and to lay it at the foot of the cross. In the prayer room this morning, I saw two arms that were tied together with a rope and that rope was fear. And it was the fear that kept us from giving, from serving, from loving, from forgiving, from following. And I saw those arms break free and that rope just splinter into just threads. <laughs> and God said He wants to do that for you this morning. So, with your eyes closed, because we're not trying to do this to impress anybody. And I, I want everybody to close your eyes. I, I just want this to be between you and the Lord. If, if that's you, I just want you to cross, cross your arms. And just when I say you're free, just, just break them apart. In the name of Jesus Christ, you're free. 
Lord, we break those bonds in Jesus' name. The hurts of the past, the scars, the disappointments, they're not from you. I'll give you everything. I'll give you everything. You gave me everything. When you bled and died, you gave up everything, Lord Jesus. You came to give your life away. You gave up everything so we can have everything. Mm. You gave up everything so we can have everything. Thank you, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Before we dismiss, if you're here, and I think I know everyone that's here, but if you're here and you're just really not sure about your relationship with Jesus Christ, whether He's really the Lord of your life, whether you, you really made Him the very center of everything that you are, and you want to be sure about that, I'm going to ask Mitch and Sandy to come up. And there is going to be this prayer couple is going to be here. And Terry and Tracy, would you come up? And as we dismiss, and if you have other prayer needs, they'll be here and they can pray and minister to you. There's oil to anoint with if you need prayer for healing. But if you need to just kind of cement something with God, something that he's been talking to you about this morning, don't leave without coming to that place of agreement. Now, receive the blessing of the Lord as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift his countenance upon you and grant you shalom, peace. Go in the joy of the Lord. Thank you for being here this morning. There's cake out there. Don't forget our, our cross track this Saturday on the 23rd. If you're coming, sign up. Let me know. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>